Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. We are being joined by Miguel Connor. He's the host of the Invite Gnostic Radio and the author of critically acclaimed Voices of Gnosticism and the post-apocalyptic vampire epic series, The Dark Instinct Trilogy. Had a great discussion with him about the myth of Jesus during our video show, and we're going to continue it now. <laughs> How are you doing, Connor? Uh, I'm doing Connor. great. I'm doing great. Yeah, ready well, to keep it going. I got to tell you, that was such a fun discussion we were having. <laughs> um, I got chuckles. I found it, though, interesting uh, and gave lots of food for thought. I got to tell you guys a kind of a thought, though, that was going through my head uh, um, during uh, this whole entire conversation we were having. Uh, um, I believe the movie was called The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, with William Defoe, mm. I don't mm-hmm. know how familiar you guys are with it, but uh, there's a scene in the movie where, um, where 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 Jesus meets Paul, and uh, if my memory serves me on this, then he's basically having this kind of conversation with Paul, and you know, basically Paul's basically telling him, "Hey, you're not my Jesus. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter who you are." Um, and you know, but this was kind of my whole entire thought process. You know, when I'm hearing this, is that you know, to many of the writers of the Gospels, or many of uh, maybe the followers of Paul, did it really matter if they walked into a, a town, you know, and met this historical Jesus, who was now living with his wife and his four children, um, who was maybe presumed to be dead upon the cross, but did live through the process. And he goes, wait a minute, these stories you're telling about me, you know, would Paul have been like, ah, I don't care. Do you think that for many of the early Christians, that it didn't matter, that that the myth around the whole entire idea was so much bigger than any historical figure could have been? I would say yes. Um, recently, there were, I had as a guest on AM Byte Stephen Davis, and he talked about his book, uh, was it Spirit Possession in Christianity? And he talks about when you study the those first Christians, and you might include Paul in them and the others, they were not looking for a leader or historical Jesus. They were seeking the experience of Jesus. That's why they were talking in tongues. That's why they all sound so different in their letters. Even Paul sounds different in, you know, from letter to letter. Because they were in, and I think he puts a very convincing argument that they were in a sort of a spirit possession cult. Very much like the cult of Dionysus. People wanted the experience of Dionysus. They wanted the God to come into them and then they would uh, they would have, again, this amazing mystic experience. So by the time of the early Christians, no, I don't think the historical Jesus was important, but it was having the spirit of Jesus come upon you and whatever revelation and insights and uh, vision into the transcendence he might begin. Obviously, later on, a few generations after, suddenly when you needed to codify the religion, then it would be important to find the this historical Jesus, and the quest for the historical Jesus began in the second century. Yeah, I found that too. Um, you know, you see this pattern happen in in religion, no matter what it is. It starts with uh, a person or a group of people having a mystical experience, trying to explain that to all their buddies, and then their buddies saying, "Okay, well, we don't, we we haven't had that experience, so let's put all these rules together so that we can kind of replicate that." And it gets watered down over mm-hmm. over time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that too. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on. Whether it's Zoroaster or Buddha, in fact, I, sometimes I doubt there was a historical Muhammad, or I think that Muhammad was probably maybe this sort of uh, mystic, esoteric uh, Jew uh, slash uh, pagan who had these experiences, and uh, it was later his followers who probably said, hey, we can codify this and create a very powerful religion because this stuff is powerful. So I think you're right, Tony. I think that's how it uh, it tends to uh, begin. That's probably why I'm always so – people get on my ass because I'm so uh, hardcore about how religions begin. And then they're like, well, religions begin. They're so edgy. They're so dualist. They're so you know, uh, world-hating. I said, yeah, but that's like the the focused essence of that first experience, that uh, event horizon of explosion of a religion. And it's hardcore and it's intense, but I find that that's where you can find really the true insights. You don't have to follow it, but it's a good place to be next to that explosion, ironically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, you touched a bit on um, uh, in the video show on the, the idea about – uh Jesus the the model for Jesus being other pagan gods and other stories that are being told and um in 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 the region at the time uh we've seen a lot recently with this Zeitgeist movie and and things like that of you know Jesus is just the Horus story retold and um you know uh Easter comes from Ishtar so we're all celebrating Ishtar you know and, and all that stuff and and while I think that that's probably an overly simplistic interpretation of these things, um, there is some there is something to that, right? That there's you know these stories don't exist in a vacuum, and the, the dying and rising God Man thing is certainly much older than Christianity. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about those currents? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the dying and rising Godman motif is a, it's a beautiful story. I think it's the greatest story ever told, and it takes uh, and manifests in different places. And it's not only I mean it, it's very multifaceted, and that's the beauty about myth is that uh, it it goes to different levels, whether they're physical, spiritual, or intellectual, and sort of uh, pleases them, crystallizes them, uh, nurtures them. So the dying and rising God motif can mean the seasons, it can mean the stars, or it can mean the the inner renewal of our souls and our spirits or the renewal of our minds. I always like, even as a kid, I was watching a show with, uh, and you had Joseph Campbell on there. And he would talk about the early man, how they, why did they worship the bear? Well, very simple. The bear would come and they would kill it. And then the next, they would eat it, they would thank the bear, worship the bear, and guess what? The next day, the bear came back. They, they, they thought the bear had resurrected. And, of course, the bear was very dangerous, like any god, yeah. especially, you know, any sort of rising and dying god, man, they have teeth. They're destructive, like Dionysus. So uh, when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, he's talking about cheese. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, dear. It'll come back. It's trying. Turn. Go, Skype, go. <laughs> I'm going to leave this all in. We're good. This is awesome. Yeah. He's having his own ecstatic experience speaking in tongues. Oh, I go bear. 
So, um, uh, what was I saying? Yes, Dying and Rising Godman motif is very powerful. Now, I sometimes they get too... Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yes. Am I making sense? (laughs) Well, now. (laughs) After that. Did you lose? Yeah, you roboted out pretty hard. You roboted. It was was awesome. You're speaking in tongues. Oh, dear. Technology. That happens happens to me with guests sometimes. Yeah, no, we're going to leave it in, though. I don't edit. Okay. Yeah. It's good. It's All good right. for people to know how how the uh how the sausage gets made. Yeah, the it's internet not is not work. Yeah, it's not a utopia as most would like to think. Technology. <laughs> a lot goes wrong with these things. Yeah. I'm going to try and avoid talking shop with you for the <laughs> for the rest of the time. But yeah, so you were talking about the dying and rising god man. I don't know what we missed, but we after the bear, I think uh No, that was it. I think I pretty much uh I understand that uh, there is this problem with the parallel mania, as they call it, where people get so insistent of comparing Jesus to Horus and Dionysus and uh, Osiris and so on. And it becomes almost like a game of matching colors or matching the dots. But the rising and dying motif is certainly there, and that's very powerful, and that's certainly what the story of Jesus uh, brought us with it, with with its own little wrinkles, of course. So, and I think it's a wonderful story. I don't think it uh, detracts or lessens Christianity, just as it doesn't lessen or detract other religions. It's uh, it's wonderful. I've noticed that too. That Gnostic Christians tend to be you know way more open to the idea that yeah maybe there wasn't a historical jesus than all other types of christians i've ever run across mm-hmm. yeah you know i got to thinking about that today um because i have noticed a vi- uh, well one of the many divisions among modern gnostics is that some folks are 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 say by the book Gnostic so to speak and others come to Gnosticism through the Western mystery tradition which involves uh, the practice of magic Um, and I was wondering okay so you have a mythical Jesus what does that do with the miracle stories what does that do with the wonder working Um, I know of several Christian and Gnostic magicians who take a lot from that, from Jesus's wonder workings. They see Jesus as, as a mage. But when, uh, if you're saying this was all a myth, and that in some cases, the stories about the wonder working help to substantiate the idea that yeah, this was a myth, um, that's going to change things a little bit, depending on the modern Gnostic, who, who, is, who, you're, who you're interacting with. What do the miracle stories... Do they have any meaning uh, beyond the human desire for wholeness? Um, I, I, I began to play around with that idea. In, in a mythicist context, what, what do those miracle stories represent? Yeah, that's again. You would have to look, and of course, we're uh, we're including the the Gnostic corpus and all the apocrypha. You really have to look at each one individually and see the pattern or the tradition they come from. Obviously, the uh, the story of Jesus turning water into wine that's straight out of uh, one of the stories of Dionysus. Jesus uh, predicting the hundred and fifty three fish that's from Pythagoras, but the a lot of the healing stories. 
those are from ancient magical practices. And I would urge somebody, if you get a chance, read uh, Morton Smith's uh, Jesus the Magician, mm-hmm. or even uh, somebody who's done great work who's been on the show, Robert Connor. He wrote Jesus the Sorcerer. And he the, they basically show that what Jesus was doing was ancient techniques of magic. And then we say, well, what's magic? As uh, somebody defined it, uh, um, religion is magic for the masses or spirituality for the masses. Magic is spirituality for the individual. It wasn't sanctioned by the state. These guys were sort of rogue Boba Fett guys running around doing their spell work, healing and not giving money to the state or paying their mm-hmm. taxes or whatever. So a lot of these things, certainly if you're a, a, a magician, a modern magician, you can do that. I always liked... Um, Oh, I forget. He's also been on the show. The Irish, uh, he's an Irish minister. Uh, I have to remember his name. Yes. And he talked Anthony about. Duncan? No, no, no. Um, he wrote a book on the on the, astro- the astrology of uh, the Gospel of Mark. I'll have to look him oh, up while we're, yeah, where we're looking at. But he wrote about uh, all these stories of Jesus healing can be, you might say, forms of therapy and psychology that he was using on patients. So even on a psychological, mental level, you can get a lot, of, a lot of out of these stories. But again, you have to sort of separate it. Uh, the trap even I get to is to somehow think that the Gospels are connected or from the same tradition or even the Gnostic text. Each Gnostic text had its own community and tradition and its own font, which it was drawing upon. But once you can separate that, you can find out which are parallels with other gods, other cultures, or forms of occultism that was that were going on around those days. Uh, Bill Darlison. Thank you. There you go. Bill Darlison's ah. work. So yeah, I just did a. If you're following along at home and you want to find that, I just did a search for Gospel of Mark astrology, and his book came up. Actually, your <laughs> podcast came up first. So, thank you, Google. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great book. No, he he does some great work. So and and he's uh, I forgot uh, what denomination, but he's a retired minister, and uh, I don't know I don't know if he thinks there's a historical Jesus, but his book is great great for the mythology. Now, talking about talking shop a little bit here, you were just down at a very interesting conference down in Texas. Yes, I was, and it was really it was really an amazing experience. Uh, it was the Gnostic Countercultures Conference at uh, Rice University mm-hmm. in Houston, which I used to live in, great city. And uh, it was uh, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the preeminent scholars were invited down to give uh, to give papers, and the sort of uh, streamlined theme or underpin underlying theme was that of the term Gnosticism and where the Gnostic subversive. So it was it was really great. I've got stuff on my blog. I've put out a video. There's a lot of stuff. Some of these papers will be published, but they're basically right. owned by Rice. So we have to, before we can comment more on them, we have to wait till they're published. But um, your Dylan Burns will be on the show as he was on your show. So um, He's awesome. And, uh, oh, he's great, great. Yeah, he's great for conversation. And it was a blast hanging out. Uh, with them, John Turner. I mean, these guys were great. And there was some really amazing stuff, also some shocking stuff. Uh, one of my favorite new theories, I mean, 
seems that the conference basically is Emily Burns and John Turner, that the term Gnosticism just needs to stay. This, we can work the tweaks and all that, but it's, it's here to stay, so don't worry about that one. But the new theory which made me laugh is there was a scholar, and I've got to look up his name. In fact, he wants to come on AM Byte, who now says that there were no Cathars. So, you know, we've worked so <laughs> oh, hard. Yes, is it prejudice so for the Cathars? I mean, oh my no, gosh. We worked so hard to keep the term Gnosticism. Now we're going to lose the Cathars on the back door. So <laughs> well, it's, wait, wait, a minute, win. wait a minute. Wait a minute. How is it that he's saying there were no Cathars? I, it's a very good theory. He honestly, he did annoy most of the conference. But I realized he, he annoyed people at the conference that had actually gone to France and spent a lot of money like John Turner. Because they were like, oh, it's hard. You go see these things and then somebody tells you they didn't exist, like going to Nazareth. And it's like, there's no Jesus. But um, basically, the theory was, is this. There's no the, – the Cathars were invented by the, the church to create a boogeyman. We don't have any texts written by the Cathars. We do have these texts of these good men and women. And there are the Cathars were basically these sort of liberal Catholics who had a lot of land. And somebody had to create this sort of neo-Manichaean sect and put it on them and then slaughter them. And then as generations went, then some of the southern French said, you know, I am a Cathar, like the Rosicrucians. Yeah, I am a Rosicrucian, even though there were no Rosicrucians, as far as we know. <laughs> so, but the, I think the, you just but, ruined uh, my life. I mean, <laughs> no, this is just, I can't bear this. You know, I don't care about Jesus, but the Cathars, uh, leave my no, Cathars alone. <laughs> yeah, I know, we all have our sacred, it's like, don't touch Doctor Who would be mine, or something like that. <laughs> but I mean, that's the beauty about these things, is like, like I said, you blink and what you thought was real no longer exists wow. and then the next day is well, that's the whole beauty about the Gnostic idea is again all history is fiction tomorrow there might not be any uh, Christianity there probably was never any Buddhism either because Buddhism is just a western invented thought uh, uh, concept that w we placed on all these uh, different sects that somehow had heard of Buddha in some way or another but none of these Buddhists confirmed so this is it's always fun and uh, again that's the whole point about these studies you know it, it's fascinating because you know it's like um, periodically and this is not religious at all but uh, periodically I, I follow the debates about the Shawnee Bean family you know who I'm talking about no, uh, no. It's supposedly this band of incestuous Scottish cannibals um, oh wow and, I like them already yeah I mean <laughs> look it up I mean it's it's a horrific story do it on an empty stomach but it's a horrific but wow. a deeply fascinating story um, and there's this whole a very elaborate story about it but there are a lot of people who are saying this probably never happened um, and it, it's you know, I think about okay it's a period of time where there's some there, where there is writing things are being written down and that sort of thing and now to hear that the Cathars were actually something that the church cooked up Talk about demiurgic. <laughs> well, I mean, lady, I mean, would the smoking gun be how come we don't have any text by them? At least with the Gnostics, we had the Pista Sophia for a yeah. while. This, so I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying either one. He's going to come on AM bite, and uh, we'll, well see where it goes. That, but my gosh. Now talk about a bombshell. You heard it here on Talk Gnosis, folks. <laughs> he did say that bulgur meals did exist. There's, there is evidence oh, that he's – yeah. <laughs> The etymology of buggery is still intact. <laughs> well, it exactly. does make a certain amount of sense though. I mean if you're if you are in France at that time and you're trying to make up a, a heresy to pin on somebody, you pretty much just take 
what the Bogomils were teaching, and you, you know, and the dust it off a little bit, yeah, and then, yes. you know, wow. slap it on some, you know, people who you want to take their money and their land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, we don't have, until some, you know, uh, cache of Cathar writings comes out, we, we, I mean, what can we say? That's mm -hmm. To me, that's the only odd thing about the Cathars, I always said, something must have survived, why, why not? Interesting. But again, it's, uh, again, the the mystical Jesus. There uh, again, we talk about the Rosicrucians. I mean, I'm not worried about these things. They don't. Uh, sometimes uh, it's it's again, it's irrelevant. And again, there is no 100. percent These are all probabilities, and these change as new archaeological finds, historical finds. So, it's where things go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, as we were saying earlier, it's it's not very important to to a, a, a person who's a Gnostic religious person. It, it isn't it isn't terribly important whether or not Jesus was an actual person walking around in the desert two thousand years ago. It's you know, it's it's the story that's important. It's what you do with it. Yeah, myth isn't about facts; it's about meaning. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's what meaning are you going to get out from this story? Whether it's Jesus or Star Wars or Doctor Who, or that's what's important. I mean, that's that's really what matters at the end of the day or in the present moment. Yeah, I'll paraphrase uh, Jordan Stratford, uh, priest from the AJC, and I don't know if he took it from somebody else originally, but he says that. Um, Myth isn't important because it's true. It's important because it's it's myth. I mean, it's just important for being what it is. And, uh, you know, it's... Or, I was just reading his book last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is from that where he says it? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. He has a good section on it. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. actually boning up for this interview. I was like, I'm going to read Jordan's book and get some insights. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of this that goes around. I'm, I'm just fascinated. That there's a lot of this goes around in in Gnostic circles. Um, so you know, Gnostics and atheists we're, we're the ones who <laughs> who kind of perpetuate this. Mm -hmm. The outcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't hate atheists, but I I, I I sometimes detect a distinct distaste on the other side for for us Gnostics. Well, not yeah. just the atheists. Or yeah, oh, yeah, really, everybody yeah. hates us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's historical. I mean, even uh, if you guys talked to Dylan Burns, it was fascinating because I had to. It's almost like we forget. We we accept that yes, the Christianity and Judaism really had a hard on for the Gnostics, and then of course the Manichaeans go to Asia, and of course the the Asian, the Oriental powers, whether it's the Zoroastrians or the Buddhists or whatever, really dislike the Manichaeans and and so forth. And we forget that the the Gnostics were not popular with the pagans either. No. I mean. Uh, but, no. you know, Plotinus and all those guys were like, man, you guys are trouble. You guys are... Seriously. Yes. We want you out. So wherever the Gnostics go, we we, yeah, we, we really know how to make a splash. Well, you think about, you know, Contraselsum, which we had Dr. King mm -hmm. on talking about that a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, this, this guy just went to town on the Ophites and... Then Origen went to town on him. <laughs> you know, the poor Ophite just got beaten up. You know, backwards and forwards. Um, you know, it's, you know. Well, I never. I always sat alone at the lunch. You know, in the, in the lunchroom anyway. So I guess I'm just used for used. For it. 
<laughs> Gnosticism, the breakfast club of, of the uh, yeah. religious traditions, yeah. Uh, something like that, something like that. But Yeah, uh, you, uh, you mentioned Dylan Burns, and his book is fascinating on, on that particular subject, on the relationship between the Gnostics and, and the Platonists and the, the, the Middle Platonists. And, um, so much so that they uh, that they changed the way they taught so that they wouldn't be confused with those pesky gnostics anymore so they just that we we've in, we've influenced uh people to hate us years. yeah they yeah, just we're... all hate us <laughs> they have an allergic reaction to us and uh because it is so radical again the idea that the gnostics just had no problem re, dis, re uh, you know deconstructing and rewriting what is holy mm-hmm. there was they were just going to go in and change it like fan fiction I mean, I always, if you guys want to talk about it, I always think we do live in Gnostic times. We live in a Philip K. Dick world. Now it's okay to write fan fiction and to reboot our heroes and to do all this stuff. But back then, whoo, that was just something you didn't do in any circle. And the Gnostics did it because they wanted to find the really deep answers, the really deep mysteries of existence, and not pay people, not charge people for, admi- for admission. Well, the thing is, is I, I was just thinking today, I was reading the blog of a devotional polytheist who was basically saying that uh, she found objectionable the way people speak of pagan gods in a disrespectful way, that gods are gods, we can't judge them by human standards, so when we talk about gods being tyrannical or petty, that's being disrespectful to gods, and yet the Gnostics had no problem. Right. No. But basically saying, yeah, this god over here is being very tyrannical and petty, therefore cannot really be god, and we're going to rewrite this story to basically mock right. this god. And- well, Plato, Plato did it too. Plato thought mm-hmm. that the gods were a joke. He hated Homer. He didn't rewrite the stories like, you know, he tried to, uh, you know, make them into allegories. But even Plato and the philosophers were like, nah, these gods are jerks. Sorry. We're calling them for what they are. Yeah, have you have any of you read um, Ready Player One? No. Oh. No, what's that? It's a science fiction book. Uh, came out a few years back. I, I I forget now. I just I just got around to reading it or listening to it on Audible. Actually, um, hmm. very gnostic in my opinion. Um, it's about kind of this virtual world that exists um, that everybody goes into kind of matrix style but you know they're all aware that they're doing it actually more like um, Caprica if if you recall I oh, know, yeah, Miguel, yeah. You, you're a fan of Caprica you, you oh, and I yeah, are yeah. some of the only <laughs> fans of Caprica in the world <laughs> but I did like it quite a bit but um, so everybody goes into this virtual world and the the guy who created it died and left, uh, you know, two hundred somewhat billion dollars to whoever could find the Easter egg that he hid in this virtual world. And as the story goes on, it's you know obviously a lot of money at stake, so there's some real world implications, and people are hunting down the protagonist and all that stuff. And and um, as the story goes on, the protagonist comes to understand, you know, he's a, he's a social outcast. And he spends most of his time in this virtual world, which is why he's so good at the at the quest, as it were. But he comes to understand that this simulation isn't real, and it he's not going to be he's not going to be happy there. So you know, towards the end, he starts to kind of come around, and 
if you haven't, I, I don't want to give too much of it away. <laughs> I'm always in danger of giving away the endings for stuff, but it's it's very entertaining and uh, very gnostic. So, oh, I'll have to check it out. Is, is it going to be made into a movie? Yeah, Spielberg's directing. Yeah. And it looks like uh, I'm just checking it out here. It looks actually like uh, the Kindle version is only three ninety nine. Oh, okay. And the yeah. paperback is seven ninety six. Um, one credit on, on Audible, so they, you know, let's <laughs> yeah. jump on it. Actually, though, I just spent my Audible uh, credit on um, Great Courses uh, series on Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Um, from yeah, so I'm looking. Forward. Oh, the one with David Brackey. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's excellent! Yes, it's it very, good. very good. So I, I just yeah. got it. And he, it's, it's got so, he's got so many great insights. One of the insights that uh, he gave me of the many when you listen to the lectures, mm-hmm. as he basically said, uh, one of the of course the many topics that uh, you debate is about the pleroma. What is the pleroma? Is the pleroma separate from the kenoma? Is the pleroma and the kenoma one? You know, samsara nirvana one, and so forth. And Bracky puts it very well. He says. The pleroma is the fullness of God's thought. And I said, well, that makes perfect sense because I always said in a simplistic or more simple way that uh, there's – I don't see it as matter or the spiritual. I see it as information and matter. There is, mm-hmm. and I realize the thought, thoughts, and matter can coexist in the same space and never touch each other. Mm-hmm. Very much like Jung talked about the pleroma in his poem, "The Seven Sermons of the Dead." Mm-hmm. So that, to me, got, a, got it gave me a lot of insights on how the pleroma can be everywhere and really not be anywhere. You know, again, thoughts and matter can be in the same place and never touch and still be allergic to each other. Mm-hmm. More Plato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had a thought, but it's gone now. Uh, um, the pleroma took it. Yeah. You know, we, we were talking about the <laughs> mythicist um, controversy earlier. Miguel, do you have any books that you would recommend on both sides of that issue? I know our people uh, like to read, so. Yeah. They do. How dare they? Uh, <laughs> and control them that way if they keep doing that reading stuff. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, let us tell them what to do. Oh, God, there's so many good books on the, the Christ myth theory. I like uh, Robert Price's book, The Christ Myth Theory and Its Problems, mm-hmm. because he does give kind of both sides, and he does say where it falls short. So I would really start with that one. Um, other than that, there's a whole bunch. I don't know if I would uh, really – I would advise if somebody wants to read Tom Harper or even Timothy Freak and Peter Gandhi – don't read it for the historical aspect and don't read it for the Gnostic aspect because they kind of go all over the place. They're more, uh, say, esoteric. I put them more into the esoteric mysticism inspirational mm-hmm. category. So um, for the historical Jesus, I would definitely stay away from Bart Ehrman's book. I think he didn't do a, a, that very good of a job. And uh, it's kind of strange because he is brilliant in every way. So uh, I don't see any books that really take on the myths or try to break them down. Because, again, this is an issue where they've just, like the Gnostics, marginalized mythicists as a bunch of crackpots, even mm-hmm. though many of them are. So <laughs> there's no real book out there that takes it seriously. And because, again, a historical Jesus just assumed, uh, you know, it's assumed that it's there like so many things when we go to school. It's just assumed it is. You know, Bart Ehrman does have a great blog, and he's been addressing some of these things I've just briefly visited there. But um, I don't know if you've checked out his blog on on, on this issue, but he's, he's answered a few things. So 
if people who maybe don't like his book that much, they might want to check out his blog and see what he has to say there. Doesn't he charge for it though? He, I think you can get. Um, it's not much, and he also and he charges uh, the money all goes to charity. Yeah, I know that. Even when he, I mean, the guy's great. When he he gives uh, public lectures, he mm-hmm. gives that money to charity. So I'm not. So I'm just saying, it's not that he can do whatever he wants. And I think he's a great scholar and a great person. It's just I can't afford it right now. <laughs> yeah, I, but I I did find some full articles there, so you might want to check that. out. I think there was one responding to Carrier. Um, mm-hmm. That was pretty lengthy, and I didn't. I didn't have to pay anything to go see it. So yeah, well, actually, this this weekend I'm going to be in Milwaukee at the Myth Understood uh, conference. I'll be there signing books if anybody wants to show up. Oh, awesome! But uh, Richard Carey is giving a talk there. So if anybody, any peeps around Chicago or the area want to show up, it's uh, just uh, well look up Myth. Uh, uh, Misunderstood Conference at the Mythicist Milwaukee is actually hosting it. Hmm. I wanted to check in, Miguel, see if you if you had to get going. Or no, no. How about another fifteen minutes? I've I've checked with the uh, with <laughs> oh. the demiurgic powers. <laughs> okay. They say uh, yes yeah, before I have to give a lullaby to the angels, the ruling angels. <laughs> Fifteen minutes is fine. Yeah, this is fun. All right. Um, so, uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, I do want to talk shop a little bit because you know that's, <laughs> you what, that's what we do. Um, you've well, you've been doing this nearly eight years, and uh, what um, what have you learned that surprised you in that time? Um, let's see. What have I learned? <laughs> I've learned that if you do have a spiritual awakening, you're going to get your ass kicked brutally. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do about it because, yet yeah, Jesus, whether he's the historical or not, was right. The world is going to hate you. I mean, I can't believe what changed once my eyes opened. Mm-hmm. And um, I've learned that I never really understood why I wanted to get into the Gnostics it was just sort of a weird call because even when I started my podcast, I had no idea of anything. I mean, my first few podcasts, I didn't even know what the Pista Sophia was or Valentinus. It just seemed something I needed to do. But I realized we really do live in Gnostic times. Uh, there was a piece in the in Salon recently, and it was talking about how we live in Roman times. And it wasn't one of those like mm, the Romans yeah. were immoral or whatever because the Romans were they were actually very conservative. But uh it uh i've talked to other scholars and the the sort of uh stew that exists now does parallel the roman times when the gnostic thought sort of kind of s- sprung from and uh the idea of uh i mean i could go on about this but we do and then i think of philip k dick and the yeah. empire never ended you know yeah. the hologram is coming up and we are really living in roman times and the gnostic sensibility seems to be um, let me put this way. It's not I'm saying, you know, oh, the Gnostics, they, they predicted the end of the world and this and that. And see, the Gnostics, it wasn't a prophetic thing. But more like the, the Gnostic vision is something humanity is starting to finally catch up with. Mm-hmm. It's starting to finally catch up with the vision of Philip K. Dick and his prophecies. Because more than ever, the idea of being a skeptic 
yet still being mystic. The idea of being paranoid that people used to laugh yeah. out is now healthy. The idea of stalking people through channels of information is now a cool thing. The idea of being an outcast is a cool thing. And uh, all these things that the, the idea of being a conspiracy theorist, which is what the Gnostics were always accused of, like, you guys always see evil in every rock and every angel and every god. Now that's actually... Uh, it's a it's a positive aspect, and of course the idea that we are ruled by uh, you might say uh, oppressive forces, and that what most of what we know to be reality is a false construct. In fact, what we are as human beings with uh, psychology and other uh, fields is most of what we are is basically constructs. We're just false constructs. So. Uh, to me, that's the fascinating thing about uh, the study of the Gnostics. And I'm not saying, well, we're going to figure things out and we're going to open the curtains and see the man behind the curtain and then it's going to be the age of Aquarius. But I think uh, it's nice to be on the side who sees things with the eyes open. And at the very least, we can, as I always say in my show, we can create something new and keep that sensibility going for whatever is there. I don't think we're gonna. you can win against a black iron uh, prison. I don't see any utopia. I don't think uh, the the material world is the material world. Like uh, Bracky said, the the thought of God is always going to be there in fullness all around it. That information is all around us, and we need to find that information. And like the Gnostic said, it's so that we can become transparent to the transcendent, as Joseph Campbell said, and s draw from those spiritual powers. And uh, even uh, that's the other thing that was very daring about the Gnostics. We can actually change the spiritual world and draw its energies mm -hmm. so that we can become, you know, as they said, angels down here on Earth, really for the purpose just to wake other people up. That's it. Yeah, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, actually. We talked about whether or not the Gnostics were selfish. You know, I don't yeah. – is that the word we used? I don't remember. Narcissism. Narcissism, yeah. Nar <laughs> that, good narcissism. Yeah. With a G. Yeah, yeah. Bill, Bill uh, Witherington, the – the Orthodox scholar said, uh, I call Gnosticism the gospel of narcissism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there is a certain amount of truth to that because – and I've had this conversation with um, Western mystery folks over the years, people who, who um, you know, kind of the Christian Kabbalah crowd, uh, and they say, you know, yeah, the 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 uh, – um, I, I forget the term. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad esotericist. But the, the – the lightning bolt and the you know the the that came from the top and did down through the spheres and all that stuff and eventually they believe that everything's going to roll back up into into unity <clears throat> and i always say no i don't think so i don't think that's what we're talking about when we talk about you know the the redemption or or uh. resurrection i think that these are all personal processes i don't think the world changes very much um you know, I don't think there's going to be this one great spiritual awakening where, you know, it's it's God's kingdom on earth or whatever. Uh, we hope, but <laughs> you can ha you can have a personal apocalypse. Yeah, you're going to get your ass kicked. Um, you know, it's it's a scary thing to be bushwhacked by the living God, uh, as uh, <laughs> Philip K. K. Dick said, and right. uh, it, it is it it. But um, and it, that. Maybe that's not so – maybe the idea that we can't escape the black iron prison, but we might be able to awaken others, maybe yeah. that's the hope. I mean, yeah, maybe you can't fight that prison entirely. You can't dismantle it, but 
even in your own place, which on one hand is very insignificant, you can still have significance to the people around you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I agree. And two points I want to make. One, you, we can't forget that the Gnostics were very much in the, the Christian matrix, and therefore charity was extremely important. And I, I mean that spiritual love, the agape, but also the charity towards the poor people, towards your brother, healing the sick. Even Plotinus bitches about that because the Gnostics are worried about social issues, and he can't stand that because he thinks there's an order to – there's a karma hmm. to the universe. There's a case system of divinity. So the Gnostics were definitely about uh, taking care of the poor, reaching out to the weak, and and so forth. And of course, their their message is about self knowledge, but also empowering the powerless through the mind and the heart, mm-hmm. and of course, defeating them. The other thing, and this is an insight I got with Dylan, but he was talking about how the pagans thought the Neoplatonist thing, and in a way, this Neoplatonic idea has really spread throughout all other religions even neo-pagans today and you're talking christian kabbalists and he was he was talking and he was saying well basically the idea is that you have god up here and that his power trickles down to all the creatures in the universe and earth and trickles down and i went to him i said dylan so are you telling me that most people believe in a metaphysical Reaganomics, mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> and, yep. I said, and, I, and I said, so that would make the Gnostics modern uh, metaphysical anarchists. And he said, "Yep, that's it." And I said, "Well, that's interesting." So let me get this straight: we know how Reaganomics works in the material world, as above, so below. So it's probably not working out very well in the spiritual world if God is trickling <laughs> yeah. down His energies through the great chain of being. So I said, "Well, maybe that's why all the religions are having their problems and the universe." as it is. I'll stick with being the anarchist and the little emo in the corner saying, hey, take care of this guy. Give us the whole pie. <laughs> That's why all these Gnostic movies are underdog stories. You know, right. um, you mentioned how uh, having the spiritual experience, having the Gnosis experience doesn't make things any better for you. In the physical. No. You know, when, when Neo... And for Neo. <laughs> yeah, no, when Neo wakes up, he doesn't find himself in paradise. He finds himself in pretty crappy circumstances. And eating gloop. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. tastes like cardboard or whatever, but uh, right. yeah, it's definitely not. It's it's not an experience that you should search for, thinking that it's going to solve all your problems. It's well, going no, to it, it it's going to make you aware of more problems. <laughs> it didn't work out for Jesus. It didn't work out for Moses. It didn't work out for Buddha. Why is it going to work out for us or Krishna? Mm-hmm. They all had really bad endings. So yep. <laughs> we're going to do better than them? No, I don't think so. Well, and it didn't work out. I mean, getting to more modern, some more modern figures, it didn't work out for John D. very well. It didn't work out for for Alistair Crowley. It didn't work out or Bruno or or Gurdjieff. I mean, you know, Mr. Gurdjieff. Uh, Mm -hmm, You know, he he kept his followers, but he died in pretty bad physical condition. Mm -hmm. Um, And anybody who's ever done the Gurdjieff work, and I know we've talked about it on this show as well as 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 yours, uh, it is a very painful incredibly painful process for anybody who's ever done it and it, it, it can leave you a right mess um, and it's I think it's true of any um, serious spiritual discipline it's not necessarily going to improve your life <laughs> <laughs> no no I, I believe you can gain the serenity 
mm-hmm. to become a, a better person or a better citizen. But at the same time, again, information and matter, God's thoughts and uh, the thoughts of this world are two different things. So and in the end, yeah, your body's going to fail you and matter's going to fa- fail you. Not because it's evil, but that's just the nature of change. There's nothing yeah, you can do off. about it. I, yeah. yeah, I don't want people to die, but... That's the way, you know, it's the way the, the program, the Matrix was programmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's call it there. I don't want to get into another topic and then have to rush out of it. But um, <clears throat> thank you again for being on the show. Uh, it's been it's been too long uh, getting you here. But I agree. we understand that life uh, life gets in the way. But. Um, thank My you. high lake duties. Yes, it's true. <laughs> you know, before enlightenment, wash dishes, carry water, right? Or, <laughs> exactly. Yep. You know it. So, uh, yeah, the godaboutgod.com is the website or dot .cam. Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I try to use this fake Chicago accent. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Mythicist Milwaukee and the uh, conference, um, what's, the, what's the name of the seminar? Yeah, Myth. Yeah, myth understood. Myth We're going to talk. It's, yeah, it's a whole day thing in uh, Milwaukee at a Holiday Inn, the riverfront, and it's going to be a whole day of talking about yeah myths, the historical Jesus, and so forth. So it's going to be fun, and of course, AM Byte will continue to to have some very interesting shows as uh, as long before the Archons strike me down for good. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's our hope for all of us. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no kidding. We're all gonna die the same fate. So, okay. <laughs> you know that Tom Lair song? Uh, we'll all go together when we go. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. I love it's Tom Lair. If you <laughs> you can't be a fan of this show unless you like Tom Lair. So go start start googling everybody. <laughs> I, I I just made a rule. Uh, <laughs> All right, then. So uh, thanks again. And for everybody listening along at home, we will see you next week. <coughs> Take care, everybody. Good night, All right. Everyone. Thanks for having me. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.